Small Biz Stories is brought to you by Constant Contact. Constant Contact is committed to helping small businesses and nonprofits connect with new and existing customers with email marketing. Find out more at constantcontact.com. There was no hot pot. You just did it. You just, you had to do it. There was no choice. It, you know, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't going to go apply for a job. I mean, I just had to do it. And I had to succeed one way or the other. My wife was pregnant. I, you know what I mean? I had no money. Yeah, I had to succeed. It was as simple as that. And I did. I was lucky. Jim Kilroy, owner of Danish Country Antiques, is the sixth business owner we've interviewed for Small Biz Stories. Since starting this project three months ago, we've talked to people like Andy and Jackie, who sold their home to start their own artisan bakery. Then there was Peter, a man who loves cheese enough to roll a 400-pound wheel of it down a red carpet during his annual cheese parade. We heard from Marie, who keeps her business going by displaying her talent both online and off. And most recently, Jason and Chris shared how their efforts contribute to community development and make a lasting impact. With each story comes a new adventure, shaped by the owners and their unique points of view. But look closer and you'll start to see some unmistakable commonalities. These are people who hit the ground running on day one and have followed through ever since. Their motivation comes from a strong desire to call the shots, as well as an unwavering belief in the value of what they do. Like a handcrafted Danish cabinet from the 1760s, these traits can't be forged or copied. When you see the real deal, you just know it. Today, Jim shares how he stayed motivated for over 30 years, his biggest business regret, and what it really means to think like an owner. More than 50% of small businesses fail within the first five years. These are the stories of those who beat the odds. My name is Dave Charest, and I'll be your host as we share the stories of some of the bravest people you'll ever meet, small business owners. You'll hear how they got started, their biggest challenges, and their dreams for the future. Starting a small business, it doesn't take long to realize what you're up against. Listening to Jim talk about the early days of his business, you'll hear his determination as well as the importance of having a support system to make it through some early challenges. I was going to do an antique store, one way or the other. What, what year was that when you started the shop? Uh, that was in 84. 84? Yeah. Um, did you get any... It was actually 83 when I okay. planned it, but it was 84 when I opened Did you get any pushback from folks when you were like... No, no, no. Here? No, no. Everybody was, everybody was thrilled, actually. And then, and then when, we, when, when I came back and found this location, mm-hmm. um, Everybody pitched in. It was a family affair. Yeah. I mean, you know, we painted the ceiling blue, and my friends, we did the basement. We tore out a wall. We did all this stuff. It was, it was really. Uh, it, it, well, I see it happening around here too with, mm-hmm. with with small shops. People come in on a Saturday and Sunday, and they blow through it. Yeah. I mean, it took us a bit longer. This place was a real dump, but um, <laughs> but uh, you know, we got it all all together within you know in a month and. And then the container, I had already bought the furniture, and we unloaded the first container in a snowstorm right out front. <laughs> Four of us. Snow, right? Yeah, it was snowing, yeah. <laughs> the, the wind coming that direction was blowing in the back of the, con- the container. It was classic. Damn you, New England. Yeah, I know. But on the other hand, everybody was kind of interested because, look, what's going on, you know? And, uh, and you know, it was, uh, 
I was a lot younger in 84 <laughs> and so it was uh, and it was really new merchandise for Boston mm -hmm. that I was very lucky it was it was this was don't this was before Pottery Barn this was before mm -hmm. before you guys saw the blonde wood that you see there or you see there or you see behind you um, I, I was really not I can't say the first but I was damn close to the first and then I was I was really big on it mm -hmm. you know talking about inventory mm -hmm. um, so that's how I got started The pieces that Jim chooses to fill his shop are what make his store unique. Jim still travels to Scandinavia a couple times each year to handpick each piece of inventory. Walking through his shop, you'll notice lanky Swedish clocks, matching mid-century chairs, and gleaming Chinese lacquered tables. I didn't want to expand to the typical you know, Georgian mahogany and the English this and the French that and the Italian this. I wanted to always do something a little bit on the edge. Mm -hmm. And the pine, I know people find it hard to believe, but it was on the edge <laughs> at the beginning. And it was, um, it was very successful. So I didn't have to worry about the first five years of being a success. It was more how to keep the momentum going, how to do it right, how to always keep the quality. And one thing about this business, one of the best things, is you learn every day. There's no such thing as knowing it all. Never, ever, ever. You, I mean, I don't know a thing about silver. You know, people come in and ask me, do you know? No, I don't know a thing. I know what I know. Yeah. And, it, and you can learn something new about that every day, too. Yeah, yeah. Huh. What is it about one being a small business owner and this, this business that excites you the most? Well, excites, uh, after 30 years, I don't know if excites is, is really the right word, but, but uh, keep me going, I'd say, is that every day is a new day. And, and you, you have to make it that way because, you know, no one else is going to do it. I mean, no one's going to tell you to do it. Because you do come in and you do learn something. And sometimes you learn something from reading. Sometimes you learn people from people coming in and talking to them. You know, they, we just start talking. But you do get a chance to talk to people. And 90, 95% of the people are really nice. Yeah. I mean, I wish it were 100, but it's not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's... So that's where the uh, excitement... I'd say, I'd say the motivation sort of, you know, to, to come in and, you know, I had extra time, what was I doing? Cleaning the windows. I mean, I didn't really want to clean the windows and climb on the bars, but guess what? They had to get cleaned. Yeah. And, um, it, and so that's what you do. Yeah, yeah. Um, would you ever go back to working for somebody else? I don't think anybody would hire me. <laughs> You're kidding me? What am I going to do? No, for, no. well, I, I wouldn't say that. No, I, I run into people, young and old, who, who I say act like owners. And, it's, and they don't just stand there and say, okay, what do I do next? You know, they, they are already thinking ahead. They're already saying, okay, if, if, if you're the boss, what do you need? I'm going to try to make it so that you, you're, I'm, I'm almost giving it to you before you need it. 
and and that's thinking like an owner. So I'm I'm trying to think like now, um, on, on inventory on my buying trips, I'm thinking what do people want? Now I don't really know what people want. I just it's from listening to them. It's from looking at the magazines, from reading this, or, you know, just getting a feel for things. And you know, we did the Chinese before anybody else. Well, there was one again, one other store that you know was a month ahead of me. And she unfortunately went, went out of business because she was very nice. But um, it, it, it's always thinking ahead. It's always, it, it's, it's, you, you can't get deeply into a routine. Uh, you have to be in some kind of routine, but, but you have to also think outside the box. Many small business owners, one of the things Jim spends a lot of time thinking about is how to reach his customers. I asked him why his customer base chooses Danish country antiques over the competition. Well, at the beginning, as a, it was, it was really fresh, interesting merchandise, and and then if they compared me back then, I think it was the quality, and and I'd like to think it was customer service, if if you want to use, if I want to use an abused word, and and today it's the same. I mean, I think I try to have a nice mix. It's much more of a mix now. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's all a certain, it's all a point of view. It's all the way I buy. I mean, if you came with me on a buying trip and you had to buy something, you'd be like, oh, shoot, I don't know what I want to buy. I mean, do I buy this one or that one? But you'd have to trust what you, what you like. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I've always done mm -hmm. I've, from the very beginning. I, I trusted what I liked. I mean, it's 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 just the way it is. I think really the way at this point it's a question of keeping the merchandise interesting mm -hmm. because old clients or new clients you have to stay up to date. For, I mean, what are we sitting around? A gorgeous rosewood table from 1960. Mm -hmm. You know, mid-century chairs, they're so comfy. You know, they're great. Ten years ago I wasn't doing it at all. I probably should have started eight years ago because I knew dealers in Denmark that were starting it. But I didn't because I was a little slow on that. So you have to, but you have to then be ready to open up when it's time to rock and roll, you have to rock and roll. Yeah. So now I do the, the mid-century in a very big way. I don't have much right now because we've sold most of it, but, but that's what I'll, when I go buying, I will be doing that and getting the older things. Be, but the real old things, the things that now uh, well, they just, they, they still tell a story, but they're real, they're real stories. These, this isn't creative, you know, creative writing stories. They, you just look at the pieces and they're great. Being open to change has been crucial to Jim's success. In the early years of his business, Jim remembers investing time and money to advertise in the Boston Globe. In the last decade, his strategy has changed to reach an online audience as well. We're really a, um, a fringe, a fr a, a, not a fringe, but a well, fringe edge of the, of the furniture business, of the collectibles business. Now, I was always on the furniture end of that corner. And I think the big difference with me is that I, I advertised more than anybody else at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But I was very lucky because I was 
when I first started, it was, again, it was very new product for Boston. We did it in a relatively big way. The, the hardest thing now is exactly why you guys are here, because it is reaching people. Mm -hmm. It is much more difficult to reach people than it was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, it was effortless to do it uh, compared to today, to today 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. As I said, you had one vehicle. All you had to do was spend the money, yeah. and I did. Yeah. Um, so reaching people, and people have more choice today. Yeah. And uh, so there's, there's lots of... Um, there's, there's lots of more challenges nowadays, I think. Yeah. I think I had it easy, to be honest. Jim is quick to admit when he's out of his element. Knowing that online marketing would be the best way to open up new opportunities for his business, Jim started working with his son-in-law, Eric, to find new ways to connect with customers online. Here's Eric talking about the store's new approach. So, I mean, our digital strategy is really simple. It's just two parts. The first is awareness, mm -hmm. so getting our name out there again to the right people. Mm -hmm. And the second is conversion online, right? Okay. So for a really long time, all of our sales was just in-store. Mm -hmm. And recently, the past couple of years, we've started converting some business online as mm -hmm. well. So that's a real focus point for us. Mm -hmm. So making sure that we stay connected to people in a way that they know that they can access our full inventory online, mm -hmm. that they can even buy stuff from the site right now. We list on some other, um, you know, high-end antique furniture marketplaces, so sending them there sometimes too. Um, and it's really, it's a mix of, um, it's a mix of trying to, trying to get our name out there as much as possible, but then also keep people involved so the retention aspect of it too which is where email plays such a huge part for us mm -hmm. it's really email and social but definitely in that order like our email list putting out quality content that we think people are really going to be interested in so not spamming people but really coming from the consumer point of view of what do these people care about it's mm -hmm. not just sales mm -hmm. it's about like new shipments when we get new pieces in or we're doing a piece right now yeah. on like it's not twice a day <laughs> it's not twice a yeah. day it's about once a week but we're doing a piece right now on his sister who spends oh, so yeah. much time restoring yeah. it was amazing to hear unlike print ads channels like email marketing and social media give jim and eric the space to tell their story to attract new customers and drive repeat business it's the stories of these unique products and people that draw others in through these channels but that's that's what the 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 big mass retailers don't have, right? Because right. literally, no. the furniture does not have a history. No, it's and so it's I'm a big believer. <laughs> any any business, but especially small business, you really need to double down on what your strength is. Yeah. And forget what your weaknesses are. Yeah. We don't have a big marketing budget. Yeah. We're not going to be able to like send out an, a a mail order catalog to everybody. Yeah. But what we do have is beautiful furniture that each each piece has its own unique history. Yeah. So doubling down on that, telling those stories through yeah. content through email. That's what I think one of our biggest strengths yeah. is. So that's what we're really trying to focus yeah. on. It's really that simple. It's awareness yeah. um, built on quality content mm -hmm. that people are going to find valuable, delivered through email, social, and then also doing a lot of, we reach out to blogs and do guest blog posts mm -hmm. and, and interviews, trying to get Jim out there and his expertise a little bit more. Yeah. And then on the back end, trying to you know see what kind of business we can actually build online while recognizing that we're still a brick and mortar business and yeah. like we need the foot traffic and this is where people mm. people need to like touch furniture and yeah. see it and like think about how it'll fit in their home yeah. before they actually 
put their credit card down. Yeah. You mentioned you send about once a week. Yeah. So what types of things go in those newsletters? Um, so we do we do promote sales again when we think it's going to be something that people will find valuable. Mm -hmm. um, if you notice, we actually just started um, a campaign to give people 10% off if they sign up for the newsletter mm -hmm. off the purchase of any um, list price piece of furniture. So that's been doing really well for us. Um, and then I'm really interested, and I think that people will be really interested in hearing more about like the history and the behind, he doesn't believe me, but I think people will be. Yeah. The history, the behind the scenes, just like hearing him and his sister yeah. and people who have been in the business for so long yeah. talk about how they got started, yeah. why yeah. they keep doing it, yeah. their point of view on yeah. it. So again, it's just about quality content, yeah. you know? Together, Jim and Eric combine their talents and work hard to keep the business looking good both online and in store. But I think, I think it really is a blend of those mentalities, right? Yeah. Like having the, the book smarts and the money smarts and the business smarts to know what needs to get done. Yeah. But then also like rolling up your sleeves and just like doing whatever, like washing the windows when you have five minutes before you do a podcast interview, you know? <laughs> so whatever it takes. And I think there's a lot of people, especially in my generation, who would call themselves entrepreneurs, especially in the tech space where yeah. I'm more involved, who aren't willing to like work that hard and work seven days a week yeah. for 30 years, yeah. you know? And so that mentality has been interesting and to be honest, a little bit of, a little bit inspiring to learn from. Talking to Jim, it's easy to see the dedication he had in the early days of his business hasn't gone anywhere. While he never claims to have all the answers, he has confidence in his ability to make good decisions and keep moving forward. It was just really hit the, hit, hit the ground running, and I didn't have a business education. And I think it came back to haunt me later on because I did try to expand certain ways in different, different, different locations. Um, but I was also I was also very conservative um, when it, when it came to money. So I, I would never I would never do I would never borrow, for example, mm -hmm. and get myself into debt. And that also limits you. I mean, when you look at I mean, Sam Adams opened up the same year I opened up, and he's a billionaire. Mm -hmm. um, it would be. Uh, you know, it, it's a different product. It's a different this. And again, this is a very, very sweet business, but it's not one. It, you're not going to retire early. You're going to keep working hard, and I'll keep working hard, yeah. moving furniture. Yeah. You, know, you can't stick around with me long because everybody helps me move furniture <laughs> at one point. At one time or another, everyone's picking something up. Yeah, exactly. So then, how do you measure success? Like, what, what does success look like to you? Success after 30 years, it is that I have my original wife and I have three wonderful children. That's what success is. And I'm healthy and fit and I still have a good time. <laughs> you know, that's what it is. So, I mean, you've talked a, a bit about it, but was there ever a time where you were just like, I don't know if this is going to work? Oh yeah, of course. There's always, oh, oh yeah, of course. I think the worst time was this last was this last recession because I you know talking about expanding products in location I've, I've always needed a warehouse almost from the very beginning you can't unload containers on Child Street anymore and um, uh, I opened up a store in in Natick 
and that that was just a mistake. It was too big. It was not the right atmosphere, and it was the worst recession since the Great Depression. Um, so that was that was that was a bit scary. What's the thing that keeps you going through those moments, those periods? The same thing that got me started. Yeah. I didn't have any choice. Yeah. You just keep going. Yeah. I mean, going bankrupt and things like that, that's not, I, I know people do it. I'm not clever enough. You know what I mean? Looking back on the interviews from this season, I'm realizing that nothing is guaranteed. Even as an owner, there will be plenty of elements out of your control. So why do people do it? Listening to Jim, I think you'll hear a strong understanding of the balance between risk and reward. While there have been plenty of sacrifices along the way, it's clear Jim's decision to start his own business is one he'd never go back on. I'll leave you with one last piece of advice from Jim. What's the one piece of advice that you would offer to someone just starting out their business? Go for it. What do you got to lose? That's the question. What do you got to lose? When you're young, I mean, really, you just have to, you'd have to, uh, what are you going to lose? You only have a gap year in your resume? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I already had that, so I had really had nothing to lose. <laughs> and so you go for it, and then you'll be prepared for work, for every bit of it. But it's fun. We appreciate you listening and would love to hear what you think of the show. Your feedback is important to us, so please go to iTunes or Stitcher right now and leave us a review. Small Biz Stories is produced by myself, Dave Charest, Sean Cronin, and Miranda Paquette. You can contact us at podcast at constantcontact.com. Small Biz Stories is brought to you by Constant Contact. Constant Contact is committed to helping small businesses and nonprofits connect to new and existing customers with email marketing. Find out more at constantcontact.com. <laughs>